you're listening to Bridgerton Fancast. We're a fan-created podcast about Netflix's Bridgerton. <laughs> and we're your host. I'm Michelle. <laughs> I live in the States. You can find me at Musings on Instagram and Twitter. And I'm Rita. I live in England. I'm at Annoying Rita on Instagram and Twitter. And we've both read the books now. Yay! Yes! Well, Yay! Two of the books. Yay! <laughs> Uh, welcome to our season two roundup. Uh, this week's podcast is going to be our last Bridgerton podcast for a while. <laughs> um, but if you want something to fill the void between seasons, don't worry because we have a lot of period drama podcasts coming your way. We'll be doing an in-depth Sanditon season two podcast and podcasts on the new Persuasion movie. And Mr. Malcolm's List. Um, so uh, keep an eye out on social media for updates on those. And I'm sure many others to come. <laughs> oh, we're really, truly basking in a summer of period drama goodness. It's so exciting. Yes. Yay. Um, <laughs> so let's kick off our season two discussion. Oh, we, right. We're going to do a roundup. But I was like, no, I've done my time. Um, <laughs> you know yeah, the plot would, by now. We would be here. We would be here for hours if we if we did that. But y'all you know watched the show. Yeah, you saw it. <laughs> yeah. Themes for season two. Yes. Um, okay. So we've talked about this first one a little bit. Identity. Try and keep it brief. <laughs> um but i think i want to talk about penelope in particular with this theme because Mm. i think it's gonna be a very important one going forward into season three i think she's grappling with the duality of her identity as lady whistledown and as penelope Mm -hmm. um so I was wondering if we could maybe talk about what that identity as Lady Whistledown provides for her. Why has she created it? Well, I think, um, you know, and we've uh, talked a little bit about this before in previous episodes. um, uh, And, you know, it's a a, a running theme, uh, I think, in the series. You know, and and whenever you're watching um, or reading a book on uh, British um, period romances or dramas, um, you know, the inequality of men and women back then, um, you know, and <laughs> as well as today, but you know, that's another show. Um, but the inequality that existed, um, between men and women back in those days, uh, was pretty, uh, pretty bloody significant. And, um, you know, I think for Penelope, in creating this Lady Whistledown uh, persona, um, she is attempting to assert her right to be uh, independent and, you know, a woman of means where, you know, she's making serious bank. Yeah. Um, Make on that money, the, girl. <laughs> yeah, on, on these... Um, uh, society papers. Um, and, you know, I think, and, you know, we, we talked about the, 
you know, at the, the last episode where she and Eloise go head to head, um, you know, Penelope has done something, uh, about the situation. Whereas, um, Eloise just kind of continues to, to bitch and moan about, um, her circumstances and women's circumstances, uh, in general. Um, and Penelope is basically done something with Whistledown. Now, <laughs> whether that's going to wind up being in her best interest or not, yeah. uh, you know, we, we will see what happens in, in series three, but, uh, you know, Rita, what are some of your thoughts? I just kept thinking about how she has sort of taken on this persona, uh, this voice, literally, mm-hmm. of this old matron, and it's like, she has recognized that in that society, yes, it's a patriarchy, mm-hmm. um, but the women and especially the, the Lady Violets and the Lady Danbury's, um, mm-hmm. of that world have most of the power when it comes to society. And I think mm-hmm. it's very interesting that she has given herself this Julie Andrews voice and that's how she <laughs> thinks of, um, Whistledown. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know that I've fully gathered all of my thoughts on that, but it would, mm-hmm. it's just lovely to have that as something to explore in season three. Um, yeah. because it's just so rich with nuance. And I think, I think one of the reasons Eloise, Root, and Penelope's fight happened and Penelope acted <laughs> the way she did, um, <laughs> and she reacted poorly was because this was like a bit of a safety blanket for her and yeah, she feels really powerless and Eloise, by unmasking um, her, has taken away some of the authority she felt as Lady Whistledown. Like, she doesn't have mm-hmm. her safe space where she can go to to give make herself feel like she has agency in this world that ignores her. So, like, that's going to be interesting to think about in season three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, basically I just stuck that in because we need to talk about something other than Anthony and Kate. <laughs> but let's move on. <laughs> We're upset. Uh <laughs> I think um in terms of the triangle, I think the major theme there was their societal roles versus them seeking their autonomy, especially in regards mm-hmm. to Edwina. Um Mm-hmm. I think Edwina and Anthony's roles are discussed at length in episode six, quite awkwardly. <laughs> <laughs> and their um their visibility as the Diamond and the Viscount, respectively, uh, sort yes. of impact their ability to have agency over their own lives. Uh they both mm-hmm. have to fight to make free of those roles that they play and, you know, start making decisions that benefit themselves. And I think in a way, Anthony and Edwina's journeys mirror each other in episodes six and seven. I think they go through very similar, like, oh, fuck, I can do what I like? (laughs) Question mark. (laughs) Realization. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, (laughs) yeah, I think, um, you know, the the revelations that we see, uh, particularly Edwina, uh, going through are, um, uh, they come fast and furious. <laughs> and, uh, 
you know, I think that, you know, if we were going to have something like this happen, uh, I, I think it would have been easier to swallow if it wasn't being shoved down my throat in, uh, you know. The quickest time possible. Quick, we have half an hour. It, 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 exactly. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, of course, loved the way that Anthony's, um, Anthony's uh, story winds up or his journey winds up coming to such a happy conclusion after feeling as though he was not able to um, love um, for fear of, you know, causing someone the same level of pain that, you know, his mother went through when uh, his father died um, and not wanting to inflict that on anyone. Um, you know, it was, it was lovely seeing him come to the realization that that was, um, not the case that, you know, uh, even, even the things that, uh, can cause, uh, tremendous pain, um, you know, you wouldn't want to give those up if it meant living a life without love. So, yeah. and I think it's interesting that he, like at the end of the series, it's like, he's realized that being the Viscount is, title but not really a role if you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like he doesn't have to be Mm -hmm. a certain type of person like he already has the title like babes just be yourself just have just just go off do do your little traveling with kate and be happy and you'll still Mm -hmm. be a good viscount Um, yeah you don't have to walk around with a sign over your head saying i'm the viscount i'm a gentleman um (laughs) (laughs) I think what was interesting uh, with Kate is I felt like that was, she had like a completely different circumstance because I don't feel Mm -hmm. like Kate has a societal role to fulfill. Um, Remember she was speaking to Eloise and she said that as a spinster, she she doesn't have one, like she's Mm sidelined from society. And I think that is one of her great strengths because she's able to move around as she pleases and, Mm -hmm. you know, yell at people <laughs> if she wants to <laughs> so she has more autonomy than anthony and edwina yes. um and she was the one making all of the decisions for both for everyone in that triangle yes. uh she's like she's a you two, boots are kate <laughs> you two are not allowed to be together i've decided and um part of the why the triangle even happens is because both Anthony and Edwina are trying to like have some fucking say, Kate. Yes. Um I yeah. I just got the sense that the more agency Kate had, actually, um, the less Anthony and Edwina did, and it was like them taking back their agency from her was like mm-hmm. part of the dynamic of uh the season. Mm-hmm. Um but like then again, Kate's not really She's making decisions in this prism of what is best for her family. She's not making them to be bossy. She has like this self-imposed role because, you know, she's not given one by society. She's created one for herself where she's decided she's going to be an Anthony figure, just (laughs) going to decide she's going to like fling herself on the rocks of responsibility and have nothing for herself. And I think that's probably why her 
conflict is the last one to be resolved because I think it's more complicated to sort of when you've made an identity for yourself it's harder to then give that up because Mm -hmm. that's something that she's created off the backs of this huge trauma that she had and like it's how she coped for so long I think as well so not having that would be like way harder to deal with than an Edwina situation where it's imposed by someone else and I think that's probably why she (laughs) was still fighting it until the last like 15 (laughs) minutes of the show she was like I'm going to India (laughs) oh uh, absolutely you know and you know this of course you know is tying um, straight into you know our other theme of desire versus duty Um, and uh uh, you know, how, you know, there's, there's this desire to, to just, um, dive deep into this, um, love that she has for, uh, Anthony, but she can't bring herself to do it until he finally says, look. Hey, I love you, by the way. <laughs> yeah. It's like, look, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not. White flag. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's okay. Um, and you know, everybody's gonna be all right. Um, but I, I love you. I need you. And, uh, um, please, please be mine. Hard eyes, hard eyes. (laughs) This theme, like we definitely think about it in terms of Kate and Anthony, but I was also like, this could apply to some of the other storylines. I was wondering if you Mm. agreed. Um, definitely. Portia and Jack, obvi. Yes. Obvi. Uh, one yes. true pairing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but also maybe Penelope and Lady Whistledown because her mm-hmm. duty as her the best friend figure to Eloise to protect her and blah, blah, blah. But mm-hmm. I think her desire is um, to be Lady Whistledown. She wants yeah. all of that and all of that encompasses. Um question mark about this one maybe eloise and theo (laughs) what do you think (laughs) it depends if you buy into this romance which we do not but yeah i mean i i i yeah no Mm -mm. but do you see what i mean like maybe they were trying for that because Uh, exactly and i can see i can i can see what they were trying to do but it just it just didn't work it just didn't work I also didn't get the sense that Eloise had any kind of uh, conflict or like worries about her duty towards her family and not creating a scandal. Like seriously, she was just out here. She didn't care. She didn't really didn't care. She was running off from her brother's bloody wedding at the palace. (sighs) That I think to go see to go see her her hers her her back her backbeat lover. She's an uptown girl. Um, (laughs) But I do think the shell of that might, like, I want, if they'd played into the forbidden aspect of that relationship a bit more, Mm -hmm. it might have got on board, but, like, it was really bizarre. Um, But yeah, it's it's the most obvious for Kate and Anthony. I know, Mm -hmm. I really like this conflict. in contrast to season one, I think this is way more relatable. I think most people can understand hate yeah. sense of 
duty towards her little sister. Um, Mm -hmm. It's so relatable. And, you know, we were all, like, Mm -hmm. in our feels about it. And then, like, I think, like, with season one, who can relate to one having to be perfect all the time? Very few people. (laughs) That's not relatable at all. Very few people. And, um, you know, that... You know, the Simon's whole story arc uh, in season one, where basically um, he's not going to marry or produce an heir because of uh, a deathbed promise. promise that he made to the father <laughs> that he despised. Um, and I think, like, if they'd gone into that relationship a bit more like they do in the books, I think more people could have understood that. Mm-hmm. And- really wasted opportunity because who doesn't yeah. have a tricky relationship with their dad show me the person thank you <laughs> <laughs> thank you it's relatable um but they just didn't didn't delve into it now um and with yeah. this one they i think this conflict that we had this season it was like a little bit too much if anything it's like okay <laughs> we get it we get it okay so Trauma, legacy, and mothers. I feel like oh. we could write a dissertation on this one. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yes, uh, you know, and and I know that that we spent you know quite a bit of time you know talking about uh, the this subject as it relates to the Bridgerton side of the equation. Um, but you know, when we look at the Sharmas, um, mirror image, this- baby. <laughs> they also have um experience with trauma and legacy um as well as mothers um difficult mother on Mary's side um you know her her mother is a piece of freaking work um and you know you have to imagine um how traumatic that severing of the relationship was when she um you know, decided to marry, um, uh, was it, is it Edmund Sharma? No, Edmund is Violet's husband. We don't have a oh, name. Oh, that's right. That's he right. is nameless. So, He's so important. He's nameless. <laughs> yes. So, um, I was just thinking that it would be, you know, it makes sense. You know, like Edwin, Edwina, you know, that kind of thing. But anyway, um, so when Mary makes a decision to, to run off and marry Mr. Sharma, uh, and the, um, separation, um, that occurred following that would have been incredibly traumatic, especially, you know, that separation and then her leaving England yeah. and going to live in India for all those years. So that would have been hugely traumatic for her. Like, yeah. And then losing that husband that she gave everything up for is like, mm-hmm. You even imagine that kind of shell shock as well, because yeah, yeah, he would have died. He would have died when Edwina was only ten or something. So yeah, something along those lines. And um, you know, to for him to die, and you know, for them not to be in very strong financial circumstances. Apparently, Um, she didn't even know, which doesn't make sense. (laughs) Clearly, uh, you know, because Kate was so good at taking care of, you know, business. And, you know, you think about that, you know, Kate is, what, 10 years older than her sister, or maybe maybe a little less? 
Wait, so Edwina is 17, she's 26. Okay, so nine years. Nine years. So, yeah. Yeah, about. so nine years. Um, you know, and, and imagine, um, for poor Kate, her father is her last surviving parent yeah. of blood. Um, and it doesn't sound as though there is any other family, um, back there. It sounds like the, the Sharmas are gone. Yeah, I don't, that whole thing doesn't really make sense to me. I'm like, mm-hmm. where is both her mother's family and her father's family mm-hmm. just vanished after they died? That doesn't make much yeah, sense. Yeah, I, I don't know. Doesn't, I don't know. Plot hole. <laughs> Rita's getting ready to drive a truck through it. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> you know, I know we've spent quite a bit of time on Bridgerton trauma, but, uh, you know, it, it, makes a little sense to kind of take a moment to think through what the Sharmers were experiencing. Um, I mean, that's generational trauma on the part of yes. the Sharmers. And then yeah, then you also factor in then having to move back to England. Like, I'm not surprised mm-hmm. Mary was a little bit out of it oh. at the beginning. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh. I would have been petrified. Yeah. You know, to, to return to the place where... You know, you had basically nothing. I mean, yeah, there were, there were parents there, but it was clear that, you know, when she left, they washed their hands of her. And now she's going back into the belly of the beast. Uh, no, thank you. No, thank you. Uh, this also seems to be some kind of weird backstory with the queen they never explained. Um, <laughs> what was that about? <laughs> um, yeah. I just think, like, what's interesting is, like Anthony's the his legacy from his family is like all this positive all these positive things and you mm-hmm. know all this love and affection and he has like such a positive place in society and then by contrast like Kate's legacy is just complete a, a clusterfuck of of a mess yeah. generations of mess that she sort mm-hmm. of has she and Edwina are forced to navigate through this society having to deal with, like, shit that happened, like, 20 years ago, you know? They're, like... Mm-hmm. And I think that's just, like, another sense that the Bridgertons are privileged, because I don't think they even realise, like, that other people have to navigate this society without the benefit of, like, such a positive place. Well, mm-hmm. they don't... I don't though, who knows? Because <laughs> the Bridgertons have been under a cloud of scandal for the past two seasons and it's not affected them (laughs) but i think like the what wonderful is this this is a very specific and weird thing and kate and anthony have like met the one other person that's been through the exact same thing you know (laughs) yeah seriously it's like oh honey can you relate to me oh yes i can relate yeah definitely relate it's just gonna be interesting watching them like just navigate their families now because i think yeah especially in relation to like anthony and violet i know they've mended their relationship but if i was kate i'd be like side-eyeing violet for the rest of my marriage you know like are you gonna are you gonna fuck him up more because like i can't you know you you break it you have to repair it yes 
was like, you know something? I, you know, I can, I can do this once. I don't know if I can do it yeah. again. I'd be, I'd be like, <laughs> I'd be weary of like how she relates to him because I don't like. I know in uh, storytelling, it's like you have that one heartfelt conversation and everything's right again. But in the real world, people continue yes. to fuck up. So you know, mm-hmm. yeah. No, I, you know, I would imagine that they'll still have their moments and, you know, with, you know, I I don't know how um, easy the whole, it's not a transition of power by any stretch, but, you know, you've got the now dowager um, Viscount or Viscountess and the new Viscountess and, you know, how, you know, one of the things that Anthony had said uh, during the show was that, you know, this is the woman that's going to help raise, you know, the the family yeah. and not just his children, but the remaining children of um, Edwin, Edwin and um, Violet. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's going to be fun. I wonder if yeah. Kate's going to be like, hey, can we ease down on the flower purchases, Violet? <laughs> it seems to me. You have most of the flowers in London. Yes. That was <laughs> clearly. <laughs> oh god. So that's like also another um, thing to look forward to in season three, question mark, if we see it. Who knows? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you know, it'll be it'll be interesting to see kind of how how this plays out with, you know, oh my god, his name just flew out of my head. Colin. Oh, Colin. And um, you know, how they wind up addressing, you know, his like, courtship. Although at this point, we have no idea how that's going to come about. Um, Who knows how that's going to work? But eventually <laughs> he will have to end up married to her because that's yes. all of the Bridgerton yes. <laughs> that's... end up married. That's the whole yes. plot of the book. They get married. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, and, you know, here is another, you know, thing that, you know, this new season is going to be is going to look a lot more traditional yeah. uh when it comes to um british period dramas because both of the protagonists they white people yeah. uh-huh i'm gonna miss that yeah me too i know like mm-hmm. as a white person <laughs> that sounds really weird <laughs> but i and i watch predominantly white period dramas mm-hmm it's just yeah. like something that is so important to the show. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's foundational, um, yeah. and uh, so it's going to be interesting how they wind up um, addressing that in uh, series three. Um, we'll we'll see. I'm, we will see. I, I have no I, idea how they. I gonna... am a little nervous. Me too. Not gonna lie. <laughs> Uh, we'll lie. just have to enjoy the white people for a little while and hope, <laughs> <laughs> and hope for season four that we get back on track. <laughs> just like, uh. oh my god, <laughs> oh lord, Whew. that was that was good. I love I love a good belly laugh. Um. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay, moving right. on to individual storylines. Um, yes. Obviously, the most important storyline of, um, of the season was Canthony, and I don't yes. think that there is any aspect of them that we haven't covered over the last 16 hours. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I just want to reiterate that 
I love them. I love them. Yeah. These two people are magical. Yes. Johnny and Simone. Oh my god. Give them uh, awards for chemistry. They were so bloody good. Um and so lovely together. Um, you know, I ugh, honestly, you know, when I think back to all of the uh pairings from, you know, British uh period dramas that I've seen over the years, um, you know, this is ranking right up there in my like top five. Um Ooh. yeah. Um they're absolutely delightful. I mean Nope. The most nope. fun to watch ever, aren't yes. they? Just absolutely yes. funny and witty and just so magnetic and engaging. Mm-hmm. Like, you could just watch them look at each other. And we have mm-hmm. a lot of looking at each other and heavy breathing. And it carries the show. <laughs> we loved it. Yeah, yeah. I I hope we get to see a little of that. I know they're not going to be able to spend a huge amount of time on that in season three. Um, you know, not unless they make the, the show 16 episodes long. Um, I'd be down for that. Ah, yeah, <laughs> totally. Are you kidding me? Like, oh my God. But can you imagine magic, how that's, lo- <laughs> that's how the magic number for our K dramas. So, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. yeah. But it takes the, it took them like nine months to film eight episodes. Can you imagine 16? We'd be waiting oh until. God. Yeah. 2025. Um, so no thanks. Which you. is. <laughs> It, that's just awful. I and I'm I'm wondering whether or not they're going to be able to be faster now that you know we're not dealing with pandemic um, situations. I'm sure that the COVID restrictions did not help matters at all. They were only shut down filming. for like a week with COVID restrictions, and mm-hmm. you know, um, season one filmed without any, and it took about the same amount really? of time. Yeah, ah. so I think it's just. I think we underestimate how big a production it is. The scale of it is insane. Yeah. yeah. All of those costumes, all of those extras, all of those mm-hmm. bulls and mm-hmm. and all those things. All the, the yeah, race all of the, theme. The, yeah, it takes the locations such... and all that stuff. I mean, you know, when you think about you know, the, the picture that you took of uh, you know, the the exterior of what is Bridgerton House Ranger's house is very disappointing. <laughs> and it's like sitting in the middle of a of what looks like a car park. Um, and it is you know, a car when you park. see it, yeah, it's when you see park. it on television, it's like, oh, it's just lovely. And, green. Oh my god, the set dressing that they have to do. Green, green, babe. Um, yeah, yeah. But you know, oh my god. So yeah, I mean, it's it. I would, I would really enjoy seeing. Uh, behind the scenes uh, of uh, Bridgerton shoot. I mean, I really would. I think there's lots of. Um, if you go on the Shondaland website, they do uh-huh. shoot a lot of behind the scenes. There's like a lot about the hair and makeup and the costuming. Um, uh-huh. But I think like the real intricacies of filming, we will never understand. <laughs> yeah, these people were working like 16 hours. 17 hour days and that was just the actors so the poor poor people working behind the scenes must have not gone home god just incredible yeah Um, and they still can't blend a hairline make it make sense oh we are judging you hair and makeup 
hard. I know you're tired, I mean, but come on. <laughs> seriously. You know, and yeah, you've got Pat McGrath, uh, you know, giving some of the best highlight uh, in, you know, in the universe. But, uh, you know, the hair, step that shit up. Because <laughs> that was, that was unacceptable. Unacceptable. Um, <laughs> we've got wildly off track again. Damn uh, it. Yeah, we have. Um, we have. Okay. <laughs> um Another storyline, I guess, is like the introduction of the Sharmas. The Sharma, the Sharma family. Um, <laughs> I love everything about what this family brought to this show. Um, yeah. Just love them. The, I, I think it's so rare to see an all female family generally. And then mm-hmm. the added layer of them being a blended family and mm-hmm. then all of the, not tension, but there was like this undercurrent that needed to be addressed between them yes and that was just so beautifully performed and rich with nuances mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. i kind of wish and the then, show had explored that aspect a bit more than it did yeah 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 me too um you know and you know you layer on top of that you know the 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 beautiful fact that they were um you know from india and they were people who had, you know, beautiful dark skin, like so many um, people on the planet. And, you know, representation matters. And uh, being able to see uh, that family and all the beauty that they brought, you know, with the the costuming and the, the styling of the costumes and, uh, you know, the, the traditions that they brought. Um, the Haldi ceremony uh, was just l- luscious. Um, you know, Kate making her chai tea because she despises English tea. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line so much. Oh, my God. I love um, that running thread. Why did it vanish yes. <laughs> towards the end? I know. I think the, the last scene should have just been her sipping tea watching everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Or Anthony appreciating the the new twist that she's bringing to to their tea. Oh, chai is so good. But Anthony, get on that. I shit. know, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. You gonna love that? Yes, indeed. Oh gosh. Um, the love triangle. <sighs> um, with quotation marks around love because it wasn't. You know, it's not a traditional one. Um, I think. No. Uh, regardless of how we feel about the characters on individual levels mm-hmm. and we love them all this is <laughs> mm-hmm. absolutely um this is the plot line i just didn't like well the conclusion you know, of it was a now, big swing and a miss yeah i mean now now having read the book um and seeing how things um uh progress in that story that version of the story um you know it I don't think um, I'd used the word disappointed um, before when thinking and talking about the the love triangle and, and, you know, that kind of thing. But it is, it is such a trope. Does anybody um, like this trope, though? Why? Why? It's not like a fun trope. You know, I don't know anyone who enjoys this. And it's freaking everywhere. Yeah. Um. And, uh, you know, I, I, I would not be sad to see the back of its head, uh, going off into the sunset forever. Mm-hmm. Bye. 
Um, you know, it's, it's tired. Um, and especially it, when it comes to, um, season two of Bridgerton, uh, it just carried on far too long. Yeah. Um, yeah, it carried on far too long and went way far down the path, uh, to the point where there would have been no coming back. And it, it did not need to go that far. And I don't think they spent enough time rehabilitating that whole mess to oh, justify no. it even happening in the first place. Like, I'm never going to be okay with that happening. Um, yeah. And it's like, no. I went into the season being like, Rita, give it a try. It might not be as terrible <laughs> as you think it is. And you know what? I'm never wrong. So that's the lesson. <laughs> It wasn't good. Trust your instincts. It wasn't good. It dragged out unnecessarily. They used the queen yeah. as a magic fixel, which is one of my least favorite yeah. things the show does. Yeah. Like, oh, no. Yeah. You know, and I, I get that, you know, the, the queen is, um, you know, a, a major draw uh, for the show that, that people love the the queen, uh, love Queen Charlotte, you know that kind of thing. But honestly, I mean, I love her too. How but... is it serve? How is it serving the story? Yeah. How is it serving the central story I... of Kate and Anthony? It's not. It's just providing and drama. It's not. it's not. But I. It's not. I love the queen too. But I want her to have a role that isn't just like a mm-hmm. magical fairy that comes along and fixes the fairy tale at the end. And there's no magic. There's yeah. na- magically, there's no consequences to the actions because the queen decreed it. Like, no, that's just yeah. a a fits all for like some sloppy writing, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Ugh. So yeah, love triangle. Hated it. Hated it. Uh, in conclusion, that sucked. Um. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Next storyline: uh, Anthony and Violet. I think. Oh. We lo- we both loved this, right? It was so good. Oh my god, oh my god, yes, yes, Ab- absolutely um, one of the greatest strengths of the season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, after Anthony, uh, I would say Anthony and Violet's probably my next favorite storyline. Just seeing seeing the journey as we moved through it uh, was so incredibly powerful and. You know, the main reason for that is, you know, the, the powerhouse acting that we had, um, in both of those roles. Um, it was totally believable. Both of them totally believable. You know, Violet ripped out my heart dozens of times since, you know, we've watched this (laughs) dozens of times, uh, by now. Uh, yeah, it, uh, the, the scene where the episode where we are getting the the backstory of what happened, um, I've I've watched that countless number of times, and I am still in tears. I can't I can't watch the scene where she's in labor. I am like, nope, no, oh. I can't, I can't do it. God. I won't do it to myself. God. It feels yeah, just too real. Yeah. If anything, yeah, and. I just love the show for highlighting mothers this way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, me too. we discussed, like, the book and how it really focused more on 
uh, fathers in a way and mm-hmm. the legacy of Edmund. But mm-hmm. I, I think this was very smart and one of the better choices they made in mutation. Yes. So yay! I would agree. Um, I would agree. So Penelope, Eloise, and Eloise. Hmm. So this is an interesting dynamic going mm-hmm. forward. Um, very yes. interesting to see how this plays out in season three. On definitely rewatch, I think I noticed more of the sprinkling in of the conflict in their interactions earlier on in the season, where I didn't mm-hmm. know where this was going. So I was just like, "Oh, la la, the best friend." Um, and then it's like, <laughs> no, there's there's just sort of like this energy between them, even quite early on, where like Eloise yeah. is just grabbing at Penelope and pulling her away from things she's trying yeah. to achieve. And mm-hmm. there's that line where Colin is looks at both of them in the church and is like, how are you two still friends? Like, you have nothing in common. <laughs> like, oh, Colin, you're so insightful. Um but uh, no, I I totally agree with you. I think that, and I think that um, you know, as you mentioned in in rewatch, you're able to kind of pick up on the the little breadcrumbs yeah. that are leading up to the the final explosion. Um, you know, that's a, another um, great uh, sign of uh, terrific acting yeah. uh, with these two. I loved seeing. Uh, <laughs> Penelope having to deal with Eloise interrupting her in the midst of, you know, her trying to, to get the uh, paper published and, you know, having to deal with, you know, throwing the scent off um, so that she can continue with what she's doing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I am very intrigued to see where this goes because it's, as of the end of series two, it it is fractured, completely fractured. And one thing just occurred to me as, as you were talking was like, mm-hmm. um, when the whole Genevieve thing happened, uh, we were mm-hmm. like, where is why is this where is this going? What the hell? And now I'm thinking about mm-hmm. it. Is do you think that that was like in contrast her relationship with Eloise, like? She has. She mm. suddenly has this other person she can talk to, and she's forthright mm-hmm. with, and she has like an mm-hmm. actual sounding board who yeah. listens to her. And then in contrast, she goes back, and then she has these other conversations with Eloise, who just talks right on out across her and does not listen. Um, mm-hmm. and with Genevieve, she has someone who is treating her like an equal, at least. And I yes. think. That yeah. may be why they put that storyline in, maybe? Mm. Question mark? Because I th- maybe. Um, I mean, you know, it, it was handy to to give them uh, another way to get the um, notes over for publication. Although that was so dumb. <laughs> really, dress dressmakers box <laughs> in a sewn in a dress. Not really smart, but uh, okay. Um, I I think that. You know, Genevieve was someone who saw Penelope as, um, you know, a fellow businesswoman, um, you know, with something to lose, but a lot to gain. Um, there was an element of and, respect there, though, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. there's none with yeah. Eloise. There's... No, I mean, for, for Eloise, Penelope's a sidekick. 
Yeah, main you know, character she's energy. Just, yeah, yeah, and so, uh, yeah, I think that that where we see this go next season is going to be very interesting. Uh, you know, we mentioned it before that it's I don't have any idea how they're going to wind up with Colin marrying Penelope after all of the hell that she has put the Bridgertons through, her own family through, and the rest of society through. Less less so the the rest of society, but... Uh, oh my god, yeah, when the queen finds out, she's gonna lose oh, her shit. She is gonna be pissed. Though I would love another scene where Lady Danbury steps in and is like, can you get a hobby? Like, let, let's get you something else to do. <laughs> seriously let's 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 have let's go look over there let's let's go over there maybe collect some more animals for your zoo go over there oh, and do no that. please stop collecting but... animals she clearly <laughs> is bad at it no yeah yes um i uh, guess the last uh, storyline was do yeah. we well okay theo and eloise um didn't we talk about them well, already okay i just want to point out that <laughs> i binged the show in one night <laughs> like oh my god yeah i know um other Girl. people did it it's not that weird um Ugh. it was marginally less annoying when you binge it like okay. um still a bit boring i could look down at my phone um <laughs> they still lack in any kind of romantic spark you know if you tell me that, that he was like some long lost bridgerton brother i would believe it you know I will binge it again at some point during the summer and I'll let you know what I think. Um, as far as I'm concerned, it, it was a big old miss for me. Okay. Favorites. So we can finally stop complaining. Um, <laughs> favorite needle drop moment. Oh my gosh. There were so many. But you can only pick one. That is the concept of the favorite segment. <laughs> I would have to say the Atla the Alana Morissette. The Alanis oh. Morissette. You ought to know. The feels. Yes. Have you seen that she did like a music video type cover situation of the show? No. Okay, well, I'm sending you that link. You'll love that. Okay. She does, I'm, it's like I'm sure I will. Acoustic string version. Ooh. And then they do clips of the show in it. It's great. Ooh. Um, <laughs> My favourite was uh, Dancing on My Own by Robin when Kate and Anthony danced together in oh. real just for the pure tingles I got when yes. I watched it the first time. Just... And I think it was like one of those rare moments where the music actually enhanced the scene rather than mm -hmm. made you go, oh, I wonder what song this is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, there's so many really great songs um, this season. Favorite okay. episode. Favorite episode. Oh God. <sighs> I love that you're treating this like there's a gun against your head and you have to choose with your children. Well, I think, and you may be surprised by this one. Um, it's the episode with the flashbacks. Ooh, to, no, that's not um, surprising. <laughs> you love that episode. Edmund's death and everything that happened afterwards. I would, I would have to say that's probably my favorite. Mine is episode four of me because it had the hunting and then the dancing mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. library scene. It was just a sheer collection of delight. 
Oh. And I think the first half of the season might be better than the second half. Mm-hmm. Don't cancel me, listeners. Um, <laughs> um, I'm I'm on that ship with you, definitely. It definitely felt like we were hurtling through plot points at the end. And then there's something mm-hmm. about this particular episode for me where it was just like, we got to luxuriate mm-hmm. in some Cantony scenes and yes. do that like deep dive into their character work. And I think that's what appeals to both of us about episode three and four, right? You get mm-hmm. to just spend time with these characters and learn more about them rather yeah. than quick, you got to make up with your sister now or something or yeah. whatever. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, you know, even though you've been uh, in a coma for much of the time, you know, make up. We have five minutes. Come on. Yeah, come on. Snap (laughs) out of it. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Okay. Favorite Favorite character. Ah! Well, uh, Kate. Uh, She's just like i didn't i didn't even have to really struggle with that she's just the star of the season um i think oh. at first i was worried because she kind of flirted with mary soonest in just her complete perfection and, mm-hmm. yes she can ride a horse better than everyone and she knows she's gonna <laughs> ride the ways and oh look she can shoot better than anthony it's just like okay calm down i was a bit like anthony i was like i'm rolling my eyes a bit at your perfection but i think like Simone Ashley as a performer was just incredible because she managed to infuse Kate with this vulnerability um, mm-hmm. and then even in the first episode there was this like sad longing look as she looked in the mirror and held the dress up towards her and I think she was like this really three-dimensional interesting female lead um she yeah. was flawed she did a lot of messy and wrong things and I think that's what made her perfect as mm-hmm. a foil for Anthony. Um, yeah. Love it. And you? Yeah. Um, um, I would say it is a toss-up between Kate and Anthony, although I'm leaning more towards Kate, although I love Anthony. I, I mean, I loved him even in the first episode, or first series, even though he was a bit of a twat. I love, <laughs> I love problematic faves, can we just say? like, Yes. <laughs> we, they don't have to be good people for me to love them. Yes. Um, but uh, no, I, I agree with you. I think for for me, it was, you know, the, the scenes that just continue to warm my heart, you know, the, the scene at the um, the horse race and her enthusiasm, um, you know, overt enthusiasm when they were playing Palmol, how excited she got, um, you know, that you saw these glimpses of this of this uh, carefree um, woman who, you know, is just like bursting to get out. Yeah. Um, It's very hard to play uninhibited, by the way. Like, Mm -hmm. it can always feel really cheesy and fake. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's a toss-up between those two. Uh, Favorite minor character? Hmm. Um, I would have to say that... I'm digging Penelope. Penelope's not a minor character. Okay, we need to define. Oh, okay, okay, define define what you mean by you know because you know I was thinking supporting character, you know that kind of thing. Yeah, I think. But if minor would be definitely not somebody who shows up in the main credits. <laughs> okay. So like, okay. um, maybe that random footman that is obsessed with <laughs> Eloise's love life. <laughs> 
or the guy who wants cake. He's a he's a great. Oh my god, jeweler. Yes, the cake man. The cake man. Is he your favorite? Hilarious. I mean, I think about him all the time. Hilarious. I think he. I yeah yeah he's. I mean, and here's the thing: he's not the book. No. At all. So, you know, you're thinking, okay, you're thinking about, okay, how did you just kind of go, well, okay, we're, we're going to need a guy. Um, he's, he's going to be the, the jeweler. Um, let's make him love cake. Okay. He is a relatable okay. king. I love him. Like, <laughs> and then he goes to the Featheringtons and Portia is just like, no cake, out with you. Yeah. It was like, any cake? No. It's <laughs> like, oh, all right. <laughs> You're lucky if you get a potato over at the Featheringtons. Exactly. <laughs> you can you could get a potato cake, but uh, yeah, don't be expecting that lemony confection that you got over at Danbury's. Keep keep walking. Um, speaking of funniest moment, what's your favorite? Oh God, um, I'm a huge fan of slapstick. So you know the the fall into the serpentine. Loved that. And not for the wet shirt reason that, you know. I just love it for the humiliation was, factor. <laughs> it was hysterical. It was hysterical. And, you know, the, the dude that was uh, kind of chasing after Kate as well, you know, his his reaction I adored. He was just kind of like, whoo. <laughs> what a bracing. <laughs> yes, just bracing. <laughs> um, I think. Mine was probably Lady Lambry and Violet laughing their asses off because they have no idea what oh to do. Oh my god! I did a whole, oh. <laughs> I did like a whole belly laugh, like it was aching. I think partly because it just lasted uncomfortably long, and that always makes yes. me laugh. And it came in an episode of just high melodrama trademark and it yeah. felt like a real relief just to be like yeah can people remember this isn't that serious <laughs> yes <laughs> it's not oh a life or death um but honorable mention uh, the- to um there's that scene where kate's talking about the trojan horse of anthony giving between yes. the the horse and he's like i yes. assure you this is a very real horse i'd not recommend trying yes. to climb inside <laughs> just like Jonathan Bailey is a deadpan genius, oh absolutely. <laughs> oh my god, uh, so many great moments. The the uh, moment where Violet and Lady Danbury are listening in ah. on kind of the conversations that are happening and kind of meeting up. <laughs> One uh, on the ground floor, the other on the stairs. Eloise being and like, like, "Do I? I don't want to know. No, no, <laughs> don't want to know." <laughs> exactly. Oh, oh my god! And oh, oh god! I, I love it. I love it. See, now I'm gonna have to binge it again. Do it. Yeah, gonna have to do it. Um, biggest tear jerk scene. <sighs> there were a few. I, I cried a lot this season. <laughs> yeah, there were there were a few. Um. I think for me, um, the the scene where she uh, Violet is describing kind of where she is with her grief, um, you know, when Anthony is you know asking her to join the family for for dinner, um, and she is just talking about what 
she is doing and she's barely doing it um, and can't can't bear uh, just one more thing. Yeah, that was yeah, um, that was way too relatable. Um, it hit me right in the place where my mom's memory is. And uh, yeah, I just remember finishing episode five where Anthony, I don't want to marry her. And Kate's like, you have to marry her. And um, <laughs> then seeing Kate collapse after he left. Um, and I remember mm-hmm. the episode finishing and I just like bawled. <laughs> I was crying for ages. Oh. Um just because it was such a great performance by Simone in that moment. Yeah. She really yeah. saw me on the tragedy of it, even though I knew that there was two episodes left. <laughs> three episodes and they weren't going to get married. I was like, no. Um, yeah. The tragedy of it all really Ugh. got to me in that moment. And I think it was such a yeah. great character moment for Kate because you saw how much she loved her sister. And I was like, oh. You're such a mm-hmm. good sister, Kate. I love you. Um, but on the yes. other hand, very self-sabotaging and toxic decision. But, you know, Queen oh, yeah. Kate, she, she's flawed. We love her. <laughs> <laughs> we do. Uh, we do. We like the imperfect, uh, the imperfect imperfections. Yes. Um, yes. Favorite line. Oh, my God. Um... And why is it lilies? No, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) You um, go first. So there's this moment in episode... Is episode three? Yeah, with the bee sting. Sorry. I'm having like a rant. I'm finding it very hard (laughs) to work out the timeline here. Um, Where they're arguing... Mm -hmm. There's this, this one bit where Kate just yells at Anthony, I can assure you happiness is not your strength. Um, and that one line, I was like, that is really mean, but insightful. Um, and I love that. Yeah. And I think that just got to the crux of why I love this relationship. Like, it was like, she knows all of his dark scary parts and knows when to poke them um because he's like a carbon (laughs) copy of herself in many ways and she can yes she gets right to the heart of why anthony um is the way he is and it's because he just decides not to be happy most of the time (laughs) yeah so that line but he is well he is all about duty and happiness has nothing nothing yeah. to do with it and she can see that Ugh. in episode three everyone mm-hmm. it's like <laughs> <laughs> yeah she can see it because she's looking in a yeah. damn mirror you know she's looking in a mirror um but uh yeah kind of one of those people in glass houses shouldn't throw exactly. stones but i think that's why their <laughs> fights are so fun it's like because they know each other so well that they can say some really mean shit <laughs> yeah and I'm like yeah. a terrible person. I really love watching fight scenes. I'm like, okay, everyone, start screaming about your feelings. <laughs> oh heavens, heavens. Um, I think my favorite line is this, and this is really, really hard. Um, I think, I think it. God, what in hell is it? Oh. I have no idea. It's like Sophie's choice for you. 
Um, yeah. Just pick lilies. Yeah. It's oh. a really great line. Yeah. Lilies. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> lilies. I, you know, that is just, and, you know, now having read the book, of course, um, means so very much more. Um, I also now understand tulips. Yeah. Um, um just, sorry. I just, I just, <laughs> I can't, like, every spring, I just buy so many fucking tulips and they die instantly. Oh. Tulips are little yeah. bitches. Um, so. Yeah. They're my, they are my favorite flower. Oh, they're beautiful. Little pink tulips, tulips are the dream. Um, <laughs> favorite costume. Oh. Oh my gosh. I love with every question that you're sounding more and more distressed. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my God, how am I supposed to choose? Um, I think that it was the dress that Kate wore to the, um, Bridgerton ball. Um, you know, the one where, you know, she winds up dancing with Anthony. Yeah. And I thought she was absolutely beautiful you know i just remembered simone's favorite is um you know the blue there was like this light blue dress with um uh-huh. white lace over it in episode four when they're sitting outside the bridgerton house and edwina's like she was stung <laughs> and anthony and kate yes. are like yeah i'm fine it's great yeah that yep. that dress yep. and i love that dress <laughs> as well i was like we have similar taste Simone, let's be besties. Um, my favorite costume is probably Kate's um, riding habit with the top hat. Oh, it's like beautiful, so well cut, and perfect on her, and I think just a great reflection of Kate because she's also got like the top hat's very androgynous, like it's just mm-hmm. just perfect. She looks like mm-hmm. a bad bitch in charge in that. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I still remember the the scene. It's just before the bee sting. And, you know, she's uh, gotten off the horse and she is kind of walking over towards Anthony. And the way that the train oh. of the riding habit is just kind of is moving across the grass uh, as she is moving towards him. Um, I That is one of the scenes that is kind of like locked in my brain. Because it's um, also about, like, I think some of the season one costumes, they didn't move very well. They sort of just hung off mm-hmm. Daphne's frame. Like, but with Kate, there was mm-hmm. always, because she's so dynamic and moving around so much, you need something with, like, that sort of flows off her. And the riding mm-hmm. habit is a perfect example of that. It was just, yeah. Yay. Yeah. Um, favorite location slash Maison scene. Um, mm-hmm. um, the library. Oh, oh, the lighting of that scene was... Yes! Yes! Um, so beautiful. Um, mine's probably, you know, in episode five where they go promenading and they have all those boats and the serpentine. Um, I thought that mm-hmm. was just really, like, a perfect vision of what I imagined the Regency world was, like, elaborate promenades and yes. all those colourful people interacting um and i just think yes. logistically can you imagine like having to organize that and film a scene no. with all the boats and then they all have to go in the exact same directions when you shoot the next scene again like oh it's a nightmare no no uh-uh. <laughs> no don't want to think about it because it's a headache <laughs> it's like nope. no no thanks okay 
Oh my That's gosh. The end of our favorite discussion. We are now going into some deep analysis um as teased yes. from our inbox the thon podcast we received a whole 10 page <laughs> document uh-huh. from robin in brisbane australia shout out um honestly it has such an insane amount of data to unpack i decided it needed its own segment uh for anyone <laughs> like me that finds maths impossible to follow i will be posting some of her charts and tables online so check out instagram and tumblr read from the document michelle here we go there was a lot of discussion about the meager and cantony screen time in season two so being a data nerd i collected uh data on the number of cantony scenes one per episode and their duration and distribution through each episode over the entire season two, there are 44 Cantony scenes with a total of 81 minutes of Cantony time. The number of Cantony scenes per episode increased from four in the first two episodes to seven in episodes four and five, followed by the fewest scenes in the episode six wedding episode with only three scenes. This may have influenced viewers' dissatisfaction with the episode. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, She continues. Um, On average, there was 10 minutes per episode of Cantony directly interacting, but the actual screen time of Cantony varied through the season from just six minutes in episode one, doubling to more than 12 minutes in episodes four and five. Cantony time then dipped back down to eight minutes in episode six. We knew it! However, when you adjust for the different lengths of each episode to get the proportion of each episode that is Cantony. The most Cantony enriched episode was episode four, which also happens to be my favorite. (laughs) And mine. Yes. Cantony was nearly 25% of episode four, but only 10% of the first episode, 15% of episodes two and three, and about 20% in episodes five, seven, and eight. So Robin has produced also a scattergraph with uh, where each scene takes place in an episode. And then also another chart that has all the scenes laid out in order with timestamps, of course, (laughs) which show you how long these scenes lasted, which made me notice that my favourite episode, which is episode four, had a lot shorter scenes uh, than usual, Mm. but just much more frequently peppered out throughout the episode. Anywho, all really interesting stuff to think about when you're constructing a romance show and how you construct that narrative because you have to consider how much screen time uh, should be devoted to that plot versus the other others. So the percentage to me seems quite low. What do you think, Michelle? 25% 25% was the highest. Twenty, Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you know, and, and when I was going through the the materials that uh, she sent, you know, it, it was validating. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was validating to see that, you know, it's like, yes, the, the episodes that had the least amount of Cantony scenes were the ones that, you know, we weren't all that enthusiastic about. And by that, uh, you know, I mean that we may have liked it, you know, 4.5, 
bees uh, <laughs> than usual, you know, 87 bees. Um, hey, we gave but, episode uh, no. six a three. That was like brutal for us. <laughs> that's that's true. That's like a, that's above true. half is still a nightmare. <laughs> um, so no, uh, totally agree. Um, she also asked us some questions. So let's get to it. Alrighty. Um, what do you think Benedict was referring to in episode one when after he says to Antony, have you found a wife yet, or are you planning to offend every young girl until there are none left? Is mother aware? This suggests Antony told Benedict about his run-in with Kate on the terrace. Is Benedict referring to Antony being overheard, being a dick by Kate Sharma, and getting dragged by her? I mean, I assumed so, but then I think this is one of those things where the what? benedict knows and doesn't know is very unclear throughout the whole season <laughs> uh yes. a lot yes uh let's see before the bee sting anthony was wandering about the garden looking at flowers was he deliberately hovering <laughs> hoping to catch kate alone after her ride um he was looking for her wasn't he because he there's that scene before where he opened he's like looking around the hall and then he sees newton and he's like, ah, smiley face, and then Newton right. brows. Right, Newton is like, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I mean, I yeah, he was definitely looking for her. Um, but I I love the fact that he was deliver deliberately hovering like a bee. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, once Anthony noticed the light in the library, I reckon he would have had his suspicions slash hopes that it was Kate in the library. He had just been thinking about her. He knows this is just the type of thing she would do. So, do you think Anthony was hoping to find Kate in the library that night? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Anthony is mm -hmm. always hoping to find Kate somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> he can't help but hope to find yeah. Kate. Because he is absolutely drawn to her. It, it's magnetic. They can't help it. Um, why was Anthony not wearing gloves at the dance? All the other couples on the dance floor were fully gloved. Just artistic license for dramatic effect. I also noticed that Anthony's hand is placed almost exactly on the spot of on Kate's collarbone slash chest that it was for the bee sting scene. So his fingers are touching her skin again. It looks like he is remembering this as they yeah. dance. I'm going to have to rewatch mm -hmm. that now. Um, yeah. There were oh, so damn. many moments throughout the show, like whenever they're holding hands, he's never wearing gloves. It's fucking annoying. No. I'm like, the nitpick in no. me is like, why is no one being proper? <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, it's also, you know, the you know, our favorite Pride and Prejudice, um, you know, the, the scene where they dance. Um, you know, they are famously ungloved as Everyone's, well. I don't know. I need to watch. Everybody else has I want to watch on. a show that is just really sticking to the rules. <laughs> just so that I can feel safe again. <laughs> I'm being assaulted. I'm being assaulted. Skin on oh skin. Oh my gosh. Scandal. <laughs> Scandalo. Oh, let's see. Uh, would Anthony have asked Kate rather than Edwina to marry him if Kate had admitted she had feelings for him in the library after the dance? 
He went to great lengths to extract an admission of her feelings from him. Uh, Would he have dropped his pursuit of Edwina if Kate had had the chance to respond to Anthony before they were interrupted by Daphne? He was already having doubts about Edwina, delaying the proposal at the dinner, sighing and biting into Benedict's still-life fruit like the world was on his shoulders. (laughs) That was a good scene. Um, I think the answer to that is in episode five, when he knows Kate has feelings for him and, like, Mm -hmm. engaged to Edwina. Um, when he finds out that Kate has feelings, he's like, well, um, (laughs) let's call this wedding thing off, but you and me are not going to see each other. I think had he, I don't think he would have proposed to Kate in that moment. Is that like a controversial thing to say? No, I think, I, I I don't think he is, he is ready. You know, he is not ready uh, to, um, kind of give up his, uh, call to duty, um. And uh, it would scare the shit out of him. Are you mm-hmm. kidding? Absolutely, because it's like, oh shit, she she has the likes for me too. Well, damn. Now what are we gonna do? <laughs> Let's see. Uh, next question: When Violet asks Anthony about what he plans to do about a wife now, because their plan is only a temporary solution, I interpreted this as her trying to hint to him that he should. He, that perhaps he should marry Kate instead. She does want a love match for him. This is followed not long after Benedict suggesting the same. Uh, I do not throw the whole painting out uh, new perspective. Um, they do not directly tell Anthony to marry Kate because he does not respond well to instruction. Are they trying to prompt him to work it out for himself? Thoughts? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Mate, I look. Uh, the thing is with Violet is she is not brave enough to say it directly until Kate nearly dies, which is mm-hmm. why I judge Violet completely. It's like, <laughs> instead of say, standing there and telling him, Anthony, you need to fight for what you love, she's mm-hmm. sort of like tiptoeing around it like, oh, are you still, mm-hmm. still going to get married? Like, mm-hmm. Violet, just fucking say something for once. It's yeah. so annoying. It's so annoying. <laughs> Just say the words that you're thinking. Yeah. She's not getting points for this, is what basically I'm saying. Like mm-hmm. Benedict, maybe. But Violet, no. I don't think that this on her part is her trying to adjust to how Anthony um, needs to be t- spoken to. Because I actually think he responded brilliantly to her telling him what to do in that scene in the final episode. So mm-hmm. I don't think that's true. I think this is just another one of those cases of Violet being a bad communicator. I mean, she she deserves an Oscar for her bad communication skills. Daphne De- is still recovering. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, okay. Season three! Yes! Uh, What do you hope to see happen to Pollen in season three? We're getting Pollen. Are you excited? I am very excited. I'm, I'm, I am, I am, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I uh, can't wait to see how they try and get these two together after everything, after the setup that they have gotten in at the end of season two. Um, it's gonna. It's either gonna be a masterful bit of writing, or it's it's gonna it's, to be. <laughs> it's it's gonna wind up being so clumsily done that I'm gonna be screaming at my television. It's gonna be one of the two. 
I really worry about when Colin's going to be told about Lady Whistledown. I mm-hmm. would absolutely... I have this dread at the pit of my stomach that they're going to have them, like, get married, be happy, and then the Lady Whistledown reveal's going to happen. Like, that's, yeah. that's the opposite of what I want. Um, Yeah, no mm-hmm. thank you. Because yeah. what I loved about the book was the way they conspired together, because he's the first one to find out, and... Mm-hmm. he knows and it's always like he's it's like Colin Penelope against the evil world you know and ah. I want that translated onto the screen I don't mm-hmm. know what the mechanics of the plot are and I don't really care about the intricacies of that I just want that feeling mm-hmm. to be the same Yeah, and I'm worried that they're going to take it away from me for drama yeah. <laughs> well you know <sighs> The the thing that, you know, the things that they did to kind of get things teed up for this, you know, at the end of season two, you know, you've got all of the crazy whistle down stuff going on. Then you've got Colin, you know, telling his idiot friends that, you know, he would never consider courting Penelope. Um, you know, it's kind of like, well, shit, now what are you going to do? Now what are we going to do? Something has to happen. Like, what is going to be the catalyst for this? Because it seems, like, impossible right now. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. So, um, hey, <sighs> do you expect much, Anthony? If I'm going to be realistic, I'm going to say no. Yay. I love realism. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I would love to see more, Anthony. And I think we will see bits of Canthony. Yeah. But season three is Pollen's story. So, you know, it, it, this is as sad as I am to say this. I hope that the writers don't use season three as an opportunity to try and give us fans what we want. Yeah. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yeah, because I think sometimes fan service can end up derailing a mm-hmm. lot of shows. I've seen yeah. it happen too many times. Yeah. And the strength of this whole premise is that, you know, new season, new ship. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think this show works better when it has a narrower scope because it, when it's 17 plot lines, <laughs> oh my God, it's so stressful. Um, so. Yes. If they could sprinkle them in organically, I'll take that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, kind of the way that it would have been nice to have both Danth- both Danthony, both uh, Daphne and Simon yeah. um, introduced within the, the story, you know, at, you know, those moments that it makes total sense, you know, at the, the Pow Mow game, you know, the big family party his best friend's wedding wedding, maybe (laughs) yeah you know that kind of thing so so yeah i think um uh, i i am hoping that they are realistic i hope that the fans are also realistic about the expectations seriously seriously come to us with your crazy please no um don't don't come at us Mm mm-mm where do you think <sighs> they're going with Eloise for season three? Because sh- her best friend's going to be marrying her brother. I know, right? Best I'm, friend. I'm assuming that by the time that happens, uh, that Eloise and Penelope will have made up um, at that point. 
I live uh, in eternal it, hope, yeah. Yeah. Um, it would be interesting if they weren't, but... Oh, um, that would be amazing. Wouldn't it be great yeah. if she, like, married Colin and then, like, mm-hmm. the real end of the season was her making up with Eloise? Like, it's like, wouldn't be great? I think that would be, that would be really, really cool. I feel like a bit of an idiot because throughout the season I have been like... <sighs> This is such a good opportunity for Eloise to grow, like countless times. I was like, mm-hmm. maybe this will be it. And then she just, the next episode, reverted back to her usual bullshit. I yeah. am kind of starting to think I should maybe not <laughs> get my hopes up. I think that's what made me so frustrated <laughs> with her. I should just wait. And she's not going to be the Eloise version that I like, I think, until it's her season where she Mm. has more of an opportunity to grow and i think Mm -hmm. what i loved about her book is that the person that she ends up with really does bring out the best version of her and i you know Mm -hmm. it's sort of impossible for her to get there if she doesn't Mm -hmm. have any reason to so if i start complaining please yell at me and (laughs) tell me that i said this okay we'll just we'll make a little clip of this and then play it back to me (laughs) (laughs) Rita, play it back. It's just like, stop expecting oh, Rita, more from play this. It back. Stop expecting more from this, Rita. It's crazy. Um, oh, so God. What about Benedict? Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, this was supposed to be his season. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I hope that whatever they do, they wind up getting it set up for him to be able to carry season four. I mean, if he's because even right, getting that, though. You don't even know that. Yeah, that's, that's true. Anything that's true. is possible. Well, I know that, that, you know, your favorite ship is one that you desperately want to see. Um, so uh, it, it will be battling Benedict for series four supremacy. Oh. Um, I don't... <laughs> the thing... Look. We're talking about Franny, my eternal love, yes. and her mysterious yes. love interest. Uh-huh. Um, the thing about that is, like, the Franny book is, like, the one that take jumps around in time a lot. So, like, what they're covering mm-hmm. is, like, actually sort of happens before. And, like, she's one of the few characters that has, like, a lot to deal with before they get to her book. Like, most of the the books it's just like this person didn't exist in the narrative and now you have to care about them (laughs) suddenly it's like Mm -hmm. hey benedict he has a book now um but with franny it's like there's like a lot of groundwork to cover um so i'm excited Mm -hmm. to see them actually um hopefully stick to a narrative question mark i don't know (laughs) um who do you who do you think is going to wind up being season four I, my instinct says it would make more sense for it to be Eloise. Mm-hmm. But yeah. because I think Benedict is, could be season five, it could be anything. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's mm-hmm. so unrelated to absolutely everything. Um, uh, how many how many seasons have they been guaranteed? Four so far. But okay. season two just did better than season one. So they're getting... Like, oh, well, see? They're getting... Oh, there you go. All of the seasons, everyone. Um, yeah, but yeah. I, I, you know, and there, and yeah, 
Netflix Netflix needs the money. So have you seen how much <laughs> they spent on Stranger Things? Thirty million an episode. Christ. What? Thirty an episode. An episode. One episode. What? The ever living hell. I know that it's got a lot of CGI, but surely, surely. And by the way, when they finished uh, Bridgerton, instead of having a wrap party, Netflix gave the crew some sandwiches. So, So, Uh, Bridgerton, thank you, Netflix. Wow. Did they give them some soap? Excuse me, those those soaps are like forty dollars a bar. Um. <laughs> oh gosh! Well, we will have to see what happens. Um, but anyway, now we have inbox. I know <laughs> the show is never ending. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, let's see. Uh, hi, Michelle and Rita. I'm another listener that has just recently discovered your podcast. So forgive this long email, very, 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 very long email, because I have some catching up to do, and it may be all over the place because there's just so much. I agree with most of what you said. I did not love the Featherington drama as much as you, but I think I would have appreciated at the end Jack and Portia not ending the way they did. It could have worked out to be more interesting if he hadn't been engaged to her daughter. What is the season with all the guys being engaged to a near relative of the woman he really wants to bang? Yep. <laughs> uh, I did love the actor that played Jack. And while Portia kind of annoys me a bit, I loved his delighted grins as she went full on crazy schemer. <laughs> yeah. True love, guys. That's true yes. love. Yes, indeed. Kate and Anthony. OMG. Setting aside the fact that they were hands down my favorite book in the series, and I've read more than three or four times, I cannot remember the last time I watched a romance, series, movie, anything that made my whole soul yearn for a couple like this season did. Jonathan Bailey and Simone Ashley, God, did they ever nail it. What a powerful performance they each delivered, not just alone, but together. I adored that final scene with happy Anthony and happy Kate canoodling and then going out to play Palmile. But can I just say that if any of my brothers and their wives were giving off that much PDA, I would not be like the rest of the Bridgertons and go, aw, isn't that cute? <laughs> I'd be like, gross, get a room. No one needs to see this. Yeah. Uh-huh. That is a normal reaction when your sibling is making out with someone in front of you. He's not grabbing sitting there her butt. And watching them. <laughs> <laughs> and especially at all other times in this society, PDAs are scandalous. So the fact that they're getting all horny on each other in front of their families is a little icky. But they're so damn adorable that I'll take it anyways. <laughs> um, while the show changed the, a lot in the book, It really didn't bother me as much, except for that bullshit about them getting to the altar with Anthony and Edwina, as it often does on a book-to-movie production, because I felt like they really got the personalities right on Anthony and Kate. The casting was so perfect, and they carried them off so well. It was very satisfying, except not long enough. 
I long, I love that they redeemed Anthony from season one. He was kind of an asshole and he really didn't act like the head of a family and caring brother that he actually is in the books. Book Anthony never would have forced Daphne to get engaged to Nigel Burbrook. What the fuck was, <laughs> was that S- S- Sienna garbage as well? <laughs> I am so glad that the only nod they gave it was him tossing her pamphlet in the fire. But how fun would it be in season three for Kate to cross paths with Sienna at some point and Kate uh, came off the better? No, thank you. I don't need it. No. (laughs) I loved seeing Daphne this year and liked her so much better than last season. Last year, she was such a doe-eyed dummy. (laughs) Ouch. And this year, she was more confident, likable, etc. She was more like book Daphne, and I enjoyed that. I may be in the unpopular minority, but I was not sorry that Reggae John Page was not back. I didn't feel like at the end of season one, I needed to know more about Simon and Daphne. And I didn't feel like either of them had gone through anything near the type of transformation that either Kate or Anthony did this year. And while Kate was right in like a dirty shirt with the rest of the Bridgertons, Simon was never like that. So I don't need to see more of his interactions. Contrast that to season two, and I feel like we only just scratched the surface with Kate and Anthony, and we better get a lot of them next season. Hmm. We got so gypped out of their post-married life, I need to see this. Please refer to our earlier comments yes. on this. Yes. What is interesting, in the show, they mentioned how Edwina is going to come and live with them and... Uh, be the head of the family. So that means Kate will have to be in that role now. Awesome. I think that's, there's lots of room to play this, to play with this couple because as the heads of the family, they can naturally be very involved with the rest of the Bridgertons. Whereas Daphne got married and went off to live with the Duke of Hastings. So she's now sidelined from the main story arcs a bit. I can't wait to see Kate interacting with the younger Bridgertons and with Violet. I think that could be so much fun. And please give us more scenes like that amazing, amazing scene with Gregory Gregory and Anthony bonding. Oh, my God. I love that scene. Um, That was my comment, not not her email. Um, I think that was obvious, but okay. Yeah. Um, I hope that the show doesn't do that and keeps them all under the same roof so that there are lots of opportunities for them to all to interact. Eloise, Eloise's whole, she needs to pay for her crimes nonsense. Yes, I thought it was a bit much. How will any of them get over this? I don't know. There were really some really harsh things said between Eloise and Penelope that will be hard to swallow next season. But if they could get all over Anthony getting all the way up to I do with Edwina, and then days later, then be okay with him now with Kate, Meh, I guess they can forgive anything. What I do find interesting, though, is that I don't recall Book Whistledown ever really betraying any of the Bridgertons or her family like Penelope did in the series. And she never once published anything that could actually ruin anyone. Exactly. Interesting. There there was no ridiculous Marina storyline for Colin, so never a need for Penn to publish family secrets and ruin either Marina or Colin. With Eloise, there was no ridiculous Theo storyline either, so she never published anything that would put Eloise in harm's way, and there's nothing about the queen hunting Whistledown. For a while, Colin thinks Eloise might be Whistledown, but I don't recall anyone else 
ever once suspecting her of it. I think that makes it easier to believe in the books that the Bridgertons would rally around Penelope as one of theirs and protect her even after they find out the truth. But in this case, she's put the Bridgertons in particular on the chopping block a few times. It'll be harder to overlook, even if she did it with the intention of protecting them from what she believed were things that would harm them more than the gossip from her column. Anyways, this has been really long. If you're still with me, good job! Wink emoji. (laughs) I'm impressed. Uh, Looking forward to seeing what comes next from you and from the show. Wink emoji. Tara. I'm in Canada, by the way. Thank you, Tara. Thank you. That was a really interesting point about how Penelope's column differs in the show. Uh It should be very interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. Next email. Dear Michelle and Rita, I discovered your podcast for season two of Bridgerton while I was waiting for an episode of another Bridgerton episodic podcast to drop. (gasps) Flirting with the competition. Yes, I am that crazy. I stretch out the Bridgerton viewing experience by watching week by week and following along with not one, but two podcasts. Well Ah! done. Well done. I was nearly heartbroken when you two mentioned the potential gossip about Phoebe not returning for future episodes. I, like everyone else, absolutely loved Reggae Jean, but I think it's pretty stinky of him to have ruined so many plot lines and Phoebe's future on the show. I have a wild proposition. I'm sure it doesn't match the books, but who cares? Can't we just kill off the Duke of Hastings? (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to see a plot device where Daphne has to deal with a new Duke of Hastings, but I guess since she has a son who would be the next Duke, we wouldn't get the pleasure of some Downton Abbey-style plot where the new Duke is identified. See, also, new Lord Featherington. Mm -hmm. But at least disposing of the character that Reggie Jean played would give Daphne's character the opportunity to have some richer storylines over the next six seasons that aren't awkward due to the inexplicable absence of her husband. And ditto Francesca. Now that she's Mm -hmm. been recast, that girl better be getting some screen time. Rita, your love for the character makes me all the more intrigued by what's in store for her. Just you wait, Henry Higgins. On a last note, I'm looking forward to the physical transition that Nicola Coughlin will undergo as she plays the love lead next season. She's lovely in real life, but admittedly not the body type that often gets to play the romantic lead. And though season two, they've done her wardrobe, hair and makeup to really make her look like the unattractive sister wallflower, I'm looking forward to seeing her, quote, lose the sideburns, (laughs) a la (laughs) Anthony's transition from season one to season two romantic lead. The gorgeous black and white photo of Nicola and Luke announcing that they would be leads for season three got me excited to see how they will all unfold, as you are made attractive to each other and to us as viewers. Sexy scenes with a full-figured ladies, please. Yes. Uh, A thank you to both for providing me an outlet to fully geek out with other Bridgerton geeks without making the people around in real life think that I'm insane for thinking about Bridgerton (laughs) so much. And this is from Angie from Maryland. Ah. Oh, thank you, Angie. Angie. And I, I would like everyone to note that we were not the ones that suggested killing off the Duke of Hastings. Uh, no, I would like don't that come ref- for us. That reflected on the record, please.
Dear Michelle and Rita, I read the Bridgerton books when they first came out. I've been reading romance for more than 50 years, so I have a lot of opinions about how these books fit in the larger Regency romance canon, which I will spare you in this email. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's also another email because I... I yes, yeah. please do. I want to know about that. <laughs> I reread... I reread the first three books before season one. At the 30,000 foot level, I loved this take on the Canthony storyline. There were some things that I might have done differently, some things I literally paused the TV and screamed, how the hell are we going to get out of this one? Episode six at the altar, but before the bangle drop. I too would have liked a little more time seeing Kate and Anthony as happily married newlyweds and could have done with a little less Eloise and the Featheringtons although Polly Walker is always worth seeing on screen. That said, I think most of the show changes made for a better story than the book. The book is a bit dated, and there are things that would not have presented well on TV, such as the office scene where Anthony is abusive, or at least mean and demeaning to Kate. I think the show handled the B scene better because the book version was a little cringy. Yes, it got Cantony together earlier, but another forced marriage in the second season would not have made uh, good TV plot wise, made for good TV plot wise. I love how many parallels they touched on in the show that showed the care that the writers took in constructing a story that was rich and multi-layered. One, coordinated and changing colors for Anthony, for Kate and Anthony, depending on where they were in their relationship. Two, the very, in the very first dance that Anthony was with Kate, they formed the infinity symbol with their arms. This is the first time they have a serious conversation in which Anthony tries to convince Kate that she uh, believes matters too, or convince Kate what she believes matters too. They reproduce that same hand and arm position in the harmony dance right before they make love in episode seven. Three, the use of the idea of breath and breathing as a way to communicate depth of love. Violet says Edmund was the air she breathed, and when he died, there was no air. Daphne talks about breathing for someone when you love for them, when you love them. Finally, Anthony says in his it's maddening speech that he breathes for Kate. And given his tendency to have panic attacks, breathing is really significant for him. Four, the repeated positioning of Kate's back to Anthony's chest throughout the show. In the first dance, right before she says to him, there is something you want to talk to me about. At the hunt, when he shows her how to hold an English gun. In episode seven, when they are going to make love for the first time, he stands behind her as he's removing her clothes. And then finally, in the epilogue, he spins her around and kisses her from behind. You can see the evolution of their romance from wary and anxious to closer, but still wary to hot and bothered to happy to be married and in love. The, number five, the incorporation of pan-Indian culture in the show for the Sharmas. Something, some things are explicit like chai, affectionate names for family, and some more subtle in terms of costumes. But I think the strongest incorporation, though not explicitly stated, was Kate is an East Indian woman, and, ha and that experience has made her different and more mature. Six, the wonderful scenes of family interactions, particularly between Anthony and Benedict, Anthony and Gregory, the final dance with Anthony and Hyacinth, and of course the scene with Violet and Anthony, which was long overdue and so emotionally draining. I think Mary was distant throughout most of the show, but definitely redeemed herself in episode eight with Kate. Edwina shows her maturity by saying she and Kate need to get together as real people 
rather than the roles they have been playing. Not sure it fully makes up for the half-sister crack, but almost. As a fan, I would have loved more happy times with Cantony. Part of me wishes the Sheffield dinner had resulted in the end of the engagement so that episodes six and seven could have been allowed, could have allowed for resolution of the relationships that needed to be fixed. And then we could have had a lot of episode eight with Cantony. However, from a narrative story arc, it's not necessary to see a lot of happily engaged or married Cantony in this season. <laughs> uh, what we saw and needed to see was how each of them develop emotionally and psychologically to believe that they deserve love and that they can put family duty in its proper place. I think that each of the Cantony scenes advance their relationship. You can see the... You see the meet cute where they reveal the lighter, charming parts of their personalities. In the bee sting, Kate calms Anthony, and he can be vulnerable with her. In the library scene, you can see where she can be vulnerable with him, and he can support her. At the aborted wedding, we see their struggle with failing in their duties. In the gazebo, doing something for themselves. And at the Featherington Ball, deciding to make a life that suits them both. Overall, it may have been a little heavy-handed, but I think this season was a love letter to all the people who love romance novels. We had instant attraction, forbidden love, enemies to lovers, the wrong sister, all the hand-touching and near misses, yearning glances, the best declaration of love from a romantic hero, and then finally the happily ever after. I know many people missed not having a wedding for Kate and Antony, but I feel strongly we had all the elements of one as we had the betrothal ring stuck on the finger, Antony's vision of Kate in a wedding gown, and the kiss at the altar. It really wasn't about the wedding. It was really about them changing enough to be worthy of the other and allow themselves to be married and happy. I think that's a powerful story. Fondly, Anna, Bay Area, California. Thank you so much, Anna. That was so beautifully written, Anna. Yes. Thank you. Yes, it was. Hi, ladies of the ton. <laughs> um, side note, can everyone please start their emails that way now? Thank you. Uh, <laughs> first up, I bloody love your podcast. Stella Work, mm. can't wait for more analysis. I have no one to talk to about my thoughts on the show. So it's great to hear the discussion from people who can really understand the nuance. Second, a couple of observations. Queen Charlotte wears late 18th century style clothing and wig because the real Queen Charlotte could not let go of the fashions of the Georgian era. Apparently, she even had all the servants dressed in livery and uniforms of that era too. Her life seems a bit dull, so can we... <laughs> we can begrudge her a bit of dress up. Um, <laughs> I cannot believe that Anthony rescued Kate from a horse riding accident where she nearly died and somehow managed to resist teasing her about how deficient her riding was. I mean, <laughs> come on. <laughs> Third, I've been trying to figure out why I'm so obsessed with Cantony. Like, yes, the chemistry is amazing, but there must be something more because it's bordering on embarrassing. I think for me, it's about who they are, especially Kate. As a sole parent, I can totally relate to their shared struggle. While you're the only one to making decisions, making making money and doing it all largely unnoticed and without thanks. You quickly get used to putting your own emotional needs, let alone desires, last. And no one cares or notices when you do this. Anthony's family ignoring or joking about his despair is totally realistic. 
Lady Mary being oblivious to Kate's seemingly obvious turmoil is absolutely what happens when one person in a family takes on that role. As someone who hasn't dated for eight years and won't be able to for at least another eight, I think I'm so attached to their story because it represents hope that I might find my own Anthony or Kate who would see me underneath all the roles I have to play all the time and not be immediately put off by my inability to suddenly be emotionally open. Mm. The writers and actors just did such a good job showing why they're both so resistant and closed down and making them lovable despite any outward coldness. Forget about the sex. The space Kate and Anthony hold for each other is definitely the real attraction for me. So yeah, it's all about me. No wonder I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I really don't see how the show can top this emotional journey with another couple, but I will be here for it if they can manage it. I've just reread the book, which I only read last year for the first time after watching season one of Bridgerton. So not being a romance devotee or book series fan, I really enjoyed the show adaptation. Adaptation. You can see they have taken the bones of the book characters and plot to create something much more palatable for a modern audience. Part I liked in the book was the supportive Edwina. I'm sure others will write about this. The TV show took it too far in putting the sisters against each other. I was so tense each episode waiting for Anthony to finally stop with Edwina. And then episode six was too (laughs) much. It was a good device in that it told the story of Kate without being too explicit. How devoted she is to her sister. How she's been allowed to take on too much responsibility and how absent Mary has been. It just went too far. Out of the book I got a strong sense of how trauma can cause someone to make choices against their own interests. But the TV show really shone a light on the harm of parentification too. Neither Kate Mm -hmm. or Anthony had their chance to be young and carefree. Instead they spent their young youth Uh, caring for a family, taking on all the worries and planning. Arguably, this was a larger burden for Kate, who had no money and no way of making money, and a low status in society and therefore low power. Meanwhile, Anthony inherited all his money and just had to ensure he did not lose it. Plus, he has rank and title, which equates to significant power, but they both ended up putting themselves way last a common result of taking on parent duties too early. Finally, I loved how the show used season one to set up Anthony's character as the person he wants us to see, the person his family reacts to, a rake, grumpy, stickler, for rules slash order and burden with responsibilities. Viewers did not like him for the season two lead due to this. Then in season two, we all came to see what Kate sees behind the facade. There is this soft, lovable and incredibly feeling man who has just been trying to cope. In the book, Mm. we get both versions of Anthony in single paragraphs sometimes and the whiplash is too much. I personally enjoyed how viewers liked him almost against their will, just like Kate. (laughs) I love seeing all the posters, people being angry at Violet and and the family for not seeing this, his distress. Um, In season one, one of you (laughs) were just happy to write him off as annoying and grumpy too. (laughs) Um, Mm. Keep up the good work. I'll be listening. And this is from Joe in South Australia. Mm. Thank you, Joe. That was a beautiful email. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Hi, Rita and Michelle. I wanted to start by saying thank you to both 
Thank you to you both for the wonderful analysis you provide every episode. I love the podcast and look forward to what's next for you, too, while waiting for season three. It's so nice to listen to Bridgerton obsessed friends discuss this show. I watched the full season twice and the last two episodes a couple more times. Here's hoping we get lots of Cantony in future seasons. I could not get my fill of them. I am a bit disappointed that they didn't get together until the last 10 minutes of the last episode. I would have liked to see the reactions of their families and some other members of the ton related to their engagement. Thank you again, your fellow Bridgerton fangirl, Sonia. Thank Thanks, you. Sonia. Thanks, Sonia. Um, final one. Hello, ladies. Hate to ask slash bug, but when may we expect the Bridgerton season two commentaries? Even if it's a long way off, it would be great to have a date period to look forward to loving everything you do. And this is from Allison from Brooklyn. Um, Hi, Allison. Um, Thank you. Thanks, Allison. Um, we we did our season one commentary as a preamble to season two, and I kind of like yeah. that. Do you want uh-huh, to do it again so that we me can too. get into the Bridgerton mood? So you know, yes. You, Yes. You guys might be waiting. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think that it, it worked out really perfectly for us to kind of get ourselves recentered before the, the new season started. So sorry, it's not coming anytime soon, but we'll have plenty of other stuff to do. We're going to be so busy. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. So that's all from us for this season of Bridgerton. Uh, thank you all so much. To everyone who has supported and encouraged us throughout, you have no idea how much it means to us. As we said earlier, we'll be doing other podcasts while we wait for season three. So if you love period dramas as much as we do, please support those two shows as well. If you need anything from us, we're still in the books network at gmail.com and we are on all social medias as in the books network. Thank you all so much, and goodbye for now. Bye.
bye I'm slowly losing power Has it only been an hour? No, that can't be right So long Goodbye Hey, here's a fun idea How about I sit on the couch And I watch you next time I wanna hear you tell A joke when no one's laughing in the background So this is how it ends I promise to never go outside again Am I going crazy? Would I even know? Am I right back where I started 14 years ago? Wanna guess the ending, if it ever does I swear to God that all I've ever wanted Was a little bit of everything, all of the time A bit of everything, all of the time Apathy's a tragedy and boredom is a crime I'm finished playing and I'm staying inside if I wake up in a house that's full of smoke, I'll panic So call me up and tell me a joke When I'm fully irrelevant, totally broken, damn it Call me up and tell me a joke Oh shit You're really joking at a time like this